This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Let's go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. In these weeks leading up to Christmas, we've been looking at some of the biblical events that were the backdrop to our Savior's coming to earth the first time. These events form the true backdrop of Christmas. And through video this morning, through the preaching this month, we have tried to really, by the Holy Spirit, form in your minds what happened 2,000 years ago when God became man. Again, as we look at a stage where a play or theatrical event is being portrayed, it's essential that they get the backdrop right, or the set can take away from the story. With the true Christmas story, how Christ came, why he came, it's important that the backdrop be right. And certainly the events that happened are real. What happened there is sure. But we look back uh, and we have to uh, look at what took place through the eyes of Scripture. And so the true backdrop of Christmas. We'll conclude this morning. We've already considered that there is a backdrop of grace. And we saw that through the genealogies and Gabriel's appearance to Zacharias. A background of grace. If you were not able to hear those messages, you can get on our website, go back. And I think that that will encourage your heart so that you can see uh, the whole picture. Today we're going to see that Gabriel's appearances to Mary and Joseph form a backdrop of faith. A backdrop of faith. Of course, this can be seen as well in the responses of shepherds and wise men. And so we're going to be looking at the true uh, backdrop of Christmas, the true backdrop of faith. You're in Luke 1. It's been six months since Gabriel spoke to Zacharias in the temple. By now, Elizabeth is very pregnant, his elderly wife. For five months, she stayed out of the public eye. If you look down in Luke 1, notice verses 24 and 25. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. And so when she is finally seen, there's no question that the Lord has given her a child in her old age, just like he had said. Zacharias watches all this in silence because the Lord has taken away his voice because of unbelief. And you can see that in verse 20. Now Mary gets an unexpected visitor as well. Look at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of who? 
David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou who art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now notice here, the angel told Mary, Blessed art thou among women. Notice he didn't say, Blessed art thou above women. Among women. Mary was a sinner who needed salvation. And she acknowledges this down in verse 46. Would you take a look there? Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. This is a voice of faith. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God who is my what? Savior. Savior. So the visits to Mary and Joseph that form the Christmas backdrop of faith can be summed up with two main points. And this is so practical and helpful for you and I today. They are both given a short list of supernatural facts. Now it hasn't happened yet. An angelic messenger comes and he simply says, this is what's going to happen, but they're supernatural facts. If God has said it, it's done. It's going to happen. Supernatural facts to which they respond with simple faith. Here's the blessing. When God speaks, you just simply need to trust what he has said. That's what we get to. I don't have to be God. I can't be God. But when he has spoken, I can rest on that absolutely and completely. So I believe God wants us to see that this forms the basis for our lives as Christians. It brought salvation to us. God spoke, people believed. How does somebody come to know Jesus Christ as Savior? God has spoken, you just need to believe him. Put your trust in what he has said, just like Mary and Joseph did. And so we begin this morning with these supernatural facts. I want to begin reading in verse 30 now, if you'll go back in the chapter. And would you count, as I'm reading, how many times Gabriel uses verbs that declare and affirm action because they're from God. In other words, shall conceive, shall, shalt. Notice this as we read beginning in verse 30. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God shall, 
For with God, nothing shall be, and what's that last word? Impossible. With God, nothing, nothing is impossible. So I counted 12 times where there is a guarantee made, okay, used to guarantee the action because this is what God has spoken. Consider the magnitude of the facts. And I use that word on purpose, even though Mary couldn't see any of this yet. Now, what are the facts? Well, here they are. First of all, a babe, the babe shall be called Jesus. In Luke 131, Mary would be told the Christ child was to be named Jesus. Joseph would receive that same fact, Matthew 121. And Joseph would understand the meaning of the name as Mary would have. All right, what did that name mean? Well, it's the Old Testament, the Hebrew word Yeshua, okay, Joshua. And it means Savior. A Savior is going to be born. And so the babe would be called Jesus. Next, the babe would be son of the highest. Look again at verse 32. He shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Joseph would be told something similar, but in a different light. Matthew 1, 23 Jesus would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The son of the highest would be God with us. Some may say, well, how can you believe this? They did have visible proof of the prophecy of the Old Testament. But this still required faith. Someone here may say, well, I don't believe this. Well, can I just pause with you for a moment and challenge you on that? Mark 5, 7 tells us that there was a demon one day during Jesus' earthly ministry who called him the son of the highest. Said it to his face. Now, the demons can't go to heaven. But why would you reject this fact and go to their hell? Demons recognize he's the son of the highest. They didn't want to have anything to do with him because they can't be saved. You should give yourself to him because you can be saved. I'm not trying to be unkind, but the demons we see in Scripture sometimes have more sense to believe the evidence than we do. And we've got it in print. Now Mary is also told... Here's the third fact. The babe would inherit the throne of his father, David. All right, that's Luke 1, 32. Now, God spoke to David through the prophet Nathaniel in 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 13. And again, folks, this, the chances of all this being chance, <laughs> there's no chance that this isn't true. You'll remember that David went to the prophet Nathan and said, God's been so good to me. He's allowed me to establish his kingdom and to build a house. I'm going to build him a house. And Nathan said to David, 
Do what is in your heart. Nathan knew this man loves the Lord. He's got a heart for God. Go ahead. And the Lord comes to Nathan and says, I didn't ask for a house. Go tell him I don't want him to build me a house. But I will use someone of his line to build my house. And in return for his heart for me, I'm going to build his house in the sense that there will be someone to occupy his throne forever. That's 1 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. And when thy days be fulfilled, speaking to David, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13. He shall build a house for my uh, name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now God reiterated this through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. A very familiar uh, text that are messianic. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now listen, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And then the Lord says through Isaiah, and here's how this is going to make, here's how this is going to happen. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. Now, God's already told us in his word that when he speaks, it's not going to return void. But anytime God says, and my zeal will make this happen. That is assured word with determination. And when God determines, you're not going to deter. He's determined. When John writes the book of Revelation... The glorified Lord references this again in Revelation 3.7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. He that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. Remember that the government will be on his shoulder. He has got absolute authority when it comes to what happens not only in Jerusalem and throughout the earth. He has the authority because he's God. But the key of David. This weekend I finished reading the prophecy of Zechariah and what King Jesus will do from Jerusalem to change not only the world but the topography all around Israel. It is his government over which he has absolute authority, an authority that also extends to the entire world and the universe, by the way, which he will make all brand new. And so this brings us to the final fact, and that is that Messiah's reign shall be forever. That's verse 33. Would you hold your place here? And I'd like us to go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. And just listen again. The tone of eternality and finality when King Jesus brings his work 
here on earth to a close. Chapter 19, look down at verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called, now notice this, the Word of God. Put that in your mind. And we'll come back to it. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. What a blessing a week ago to sing that with you in the choir and the orchestra. Handel's Messiah. Verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Again, affirming who this Jesus is, this one who is coming back to reign. Again, I asked you to pay close attention to verse 13. The word of God. Where have we seen that before? That's John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He made all things, and, and, and that chapter goes on to express uh, who uh, this word is. Now, don't be confused by that. The word was made flesh. All through the Old Testament, God had communicated his word, saying, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. And now Messiah came and he was not the spoken word. He was the living word. He was the living manifestation of everything that God had said. And now we get to see who God is as he walks and he talks. The communication of God to mankind. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus would say later, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Say, well, he never, the cults, he never claimed to be God. Read your Bible. Yes, he did. God made flesh. So this is none other than Messiah, the Lord Jesus, the Christ. It's his birth that we celebrate today. These are the supernatural facts declared to Mary and to Joseph, facts that they received with, and this is how we'll close today, with simple faith. Simple faith. Now Mary and Joseph's, Joseph's response did include the fact, again, these reminders that they're human. Human questions, Mary questioned, uh, 
and fears. Joseph was afraid. Did you know that you can have faith and have questions and still fear? I, I love that about these two. There are no super Christians in the Bible. They're men and women of like passions as we are. And when God spoke, they had questions. They had fear. And they chose to trust. What a testimony for us. Joseph's response involved fear. The angel says to him in Matthew 1.20, Fear not to take Mary. Mary's response to these supernatural facts is one of perplexity. What was she perplexed about? Look back now in Luke's gospel and verse 34 of chapter 1. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Never been married. Never had relations. Intimate relations with a man. How, how can this be? And what she's referring to is the natural laws here that God has established. How is this going to happen in light of what God has established? Now God's going to answer that question. But let me just pause for a moment to say that liberals debate whether the term virgin in the scripture is really virgin or a woman of marriageable age. Now this debate is resolved quite easily and if somebody wanted to have this debate with you, family member, co-worker, whatever, how would you respond to it? Let me give you some help this morning. First of all, the theology of scripture makes it clear that it would be the seed of the woman who would come to save us from our sins. Again, we've been reminded of this, Genesis 3.15, that first pronouncement of salvation, the seed of the woman is what God said to Adam and Eve before they ever left the garden and to Satan. Secondly, the Septuagint, which is the Jewish translation of the Old Testament into Greek. Now this happens before the church. This is before Christianity. This happens in Alexandria before the ministry of Christ. That translation translates the Hebrew word alma as virgin. Okay? So those scholars living at that time understood this is what the word meant. And they put it in the Septuagint. Number three, those who really understood Jewish culture at the time would expect a woman of marriageable age to be chaste. And if God's going to use her, if, if, they're gonna, if there's going to be an angelic messenger, she's going to have to be someone who pleases God. Now, that's not complicated, right? Finally, Mary admits in Luke 134 that she has never known a man. It's amazing how unbelief can make liberal scholars so foolish. Too smart for their own good. Now what is the difference between Mary's response to the angel and that of Zacharias? Here's what Mary was saying, Lord, show me how this is going to work. Just please show me. Zacharias in verse 18 was saying, Lord, how is this ever going to work? There's a big difference. The Lord doesn't mind us saying, 
Teach me, Lord, and help me understand your will. In Joseph's case, the Lord responds to his fears, but he wasn't, the Lord wasn't responding to Joseph's unbelief. There's a big difference. Let me explain. No parent ever minds a child saying, I don't understand how this works, or I'm afraid. As parents, we expect that, right? It's different when a child tells a parent, I don't believe you'll do what you said. Or, I don't believe you are able to do this. That's different. And that's the difference in these responses that we see in the first Christmas story. Now watch Mary's faith. Luke 1, look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The word translated, be it unto me, is a Greek word meaning to happen or become. So here's what Mary is saying. Let what you have said happen to me. Let it become true of me. She's expressing willingness, and actually the original language, it goes past that. She's expressing a wish. I want this to happen to me. Now, she's not married yet. She's never known a man. And she is now going to be with child. And she says, I want this. Would you agree with me? That's faith. That is faith. Joseph's response in Matthew 1, 24 and 25, consider this. And Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Notice, not his firstborn son. Her firstborn son. And he, Joseph, called his name, following instructions, Jesus, Savior. That's faith. That's faith. And again, all the folks back in Nazareth, and they probably had a gossip problem too. Have you seen Mary lately? They're not married yet. And Joseph followed through knowing that that would be a cloud over him the rest of his, and by the way, it'd be a short life. But he went through with God's plan at the will of the Lord. Now, this is what our attitude must be when it comes to fulfilling God's plan for our lives. Oh, how we complicate things. I complicate things. Tell God about your fears. Ask him your questions. But do it from the standpoint, Lord, I am going to follow you by your grace, but I need you to show me the way. Then follow exactly what he says with a willing heart, wishing for his will to be accomplished in you. That's the Christmas story. And if you have believed on Christ and are now saved, the Spirit of God living in you can help you respond just like Mary and Joseph did. What has God told you to do this Christmas morning? What's he told you to do? 
Do you believe God can give you faith like Joseph and Mary and use you as he used them? He can. He wants to. You have his spirit. You have the spirit, uh, supernatural facts from God. Take your Bible, hold it up. You have the supernatural facts. Let me see your Bibles this morning. All right. Here it is. Can it fail? No, who breathed it? God did. And if you'll give simple trust in what he has said, you can't fail. You can't. What he has spoken, he has done just as he said. There's not been one failure of all that he has promised. So you cannot know what it is like to be used of God and see his blessing until you first step out by faith on what he has said. I wish we had time to develop this more, but let me, let me just give you a quick scan, and you can go back and look at this yourself. I marvel at what God did through Mary by faith and how God continued to use her faith. Mary's was not an easy life. By the time of Jesus' first miracle in Cana of Galilee, Joseph is not there. The family attends that wedding feast. We don't know how long Joseph lived. Here's what we do know. Theirs was a conflicted home. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Can you imagine, young people, having a brother who was perfect? Say, I have a brother who thinks he's perfect. I'm not talking about that, okay? Can you imagine he always did everything perfectly? Mom and Dad never had a single reason to ever rebuke or discipline he just is perfect I don't know how that went in Mary and Joseph's home here's what I do know do you know that when Jesus starts his earthly ministry not only have the people of Nazareth rejected him but his brothers and sisters have too they do not believe he is who he claims to be though they got to see his life up close and personal. They reject him too. Now imagine being mom. You have lived the Christmas story. You know who Jesus is. You've taught your kids who Jesus is. Not going to believe it. Imagine the faith of that mother. I think that describes a lot of our Christian homes. You're going to have young adults who follow the Lord and those who, at least for right now, are choosing not to. And yet, God can still use your faith, Mom, Dad. Claim God's promises, the supernatural facts, and just keep trusting the Lord. And by the way, it just rejoices my heart and encourages me 
by the end of the Bible, you have some of Jesus' brothers who are writing scripture they've all believed. But it took his death and his resurrection and for them to see that before they ever turned their hearts to God. Mary continued to trust the Lord. You'll remember that when she's on the Temple Mount with Joseph and they're dedicating Jesus according to the law, that a man named Simeon comes up and he declares to Mary and to Joseph, especially to Mary, that because of this little one you're holding, you're going to be pierced in your heart. Of course, the fulfillment of that is the day she stood at the foot of the cross and looked up at her son who was dying an awful death and shedding blood to provide deliverance for humanity. And then Mary continues to trust the Lord. She gets to see the risen Lord. This year we had the privilege of traveling to Greece and Turkey, and, and I shared with our group as we walked through the ruins of Ephesus. That church to the Ephesians had a pastor, none other than John the Apostle. And guess who one of the members was there? It was Mary. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus gave the responsibility of her care to John. And church history tells us, it's documented that John died there at Ephesus. In fact, on a hilltop close by, we went up to where he is buried. And Mary passed away there too. We don't know where her tomb is at. But she continued to be faithful to the Lord and to serve in his church until God was done with her here. This Christmas reminds us you have the promises of God's word if you will exercise simple faith to just believe what God has said. God can use you mightily just like he used a simple carpenter and a maiden out of a little unknown town in the north of Israel called Nazareth. So as we celebrate Christmas, let's not forget that God's great plan has as its backdrop grace and faith. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit would tell us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you're saved through faith. That was the backdrop of Christmas, and that is the essence if you're going to be saved. God's grace right now, if you're not saved, is drawing you. God is tugging at your heart. You've got to put other people out of your mind. You've got to put other things out of your mind that, that may be raising doubts and questions. And you just need to believe what God has said. His grace is drawing you. And right now, if in simple faith you will believe on Jesus Christ, he'll wash away your sin and give you eternal life. God brought about his salvation through those who allowed God's grace to work in their lives. They were willing to exercise faith in what he said. And all these things happened unto them as examples for us. And these are written for our admonition that we might have the faith to proclaim. Let earth receive her king. 
Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. Father, thank you for the backdrop of Christmas. The divine masterful plan that was uttered in the Garden of Eden and declared all through the centuries until in a little town five miles south of Jerusalem, your son was born. And then he grew and declared to the world that there is no salvation but through him. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, he said. No man cometh unto the Father but by, through me. Lord, thank you that I've had the privilege this last Lord's Day of this year to declare the glorious gospel that started with the giving of your Son to us. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.